Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is John Dindia, and he is from Lakeview Hill Farm. They are a certified organic produce farm located in Traverse City, Michigan. And he owns and operates the business with uh, Bailey Samp. The farm started in 2017, has experienced rapid growth, and will reach over 500,000 in gross sales in 2021. Currently employing four full-time year round employees and two additional seasonal employees. The farm primarily focuses on early season summer fruit, greenhouse production, and year-round baby leaf salad greens and microgreens. 75% of the farm revenue comes from four 5,000 square foot heated greenhouses and four 150 foot long caterpillar tunnels. The farm sells 95% of its produce within a 15 mile radius, primarily to local grocery stores and co-ops, restaurants, farmers markets and an on farm store and a multi farm CSA program. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Uh, glad to be here. So share a little bit about your, you know, the overarching aspect of the farm. How many acres do you have in field production? We not much about two at the most, and that'll probably be shrinking next year. Okay. So then you're 20,000 square feet of heated tunnels and I'm assuming 150 times 15, that's 222.50, about 9,000 square feet of Caterpillar. They're a little bit, the Caterpillar tunnel is a little bit wider than that. Um, okay. Two of them are at 16 and two of them are at 20. Oh, uh, okay. Nice. Yeah. So, all right. So then greenhouses is where it's at for you guys then. Totally. Protected culture for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, then if that's the case, let's dive in there. Um, what is in the heated tunnels? Primarily, I mean, they're not heated year round by any okay. means, um, but they all have the capability for heat. And usually we start planting early season um, cucumbers and tomatoes. We start planting those in the ground around March 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, last year was a little bit earlier, and I think we'll stick with that uh, about a week earlier. And um, and then we also do sweet peppers uh, in heated tunnels. And that you usually don't start those quite as early because the return isn't as good. Usually that's like early to mid-March. Mm-hmm. And then we also kind of fill in the gaps. Like we won't fill an entire 5,000 square foot tunnel with tomatoes. It might be like 3,000 square feet of tomatoes. And then we mm-hmm. also put, you know, bunching greens or celery or who knows what to kind of just like fill in the gap uh, in that tunnel. We also have one our first primary tunnel, which is connected to our main production barn. Uh, That's where we have benchtop production space as well as in-ground production. And we do throw a curtain up on that, but the benchtop space is heated to, Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I don't know. It varies, but that's heated throughout the entire winter. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, pretty much we grow like winter greens in all the tunnels and those are just minimally heated to uh, 33 degrees. Interesting. So you're basically heating for no frost. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. For like for winter greens, spinach will go in the cat tunnels, but pretty much everything else goes in the heated tunnels. Yeah. Now on the, um, the curtain you're using, is that just greenhouse plastic you use as a curtain or you have a very specific, uh, no, but it's your standard woven greenhouse plastic. It's not it's just a divider more than a yeah. curtain. 
So. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that's exactly what we're using. Um, all right. So then let's talk back to your the cucumbers and the tomatoes you're doing. Um, grafted, non-grafted? Uh, currently non-grafted on both. Um, we always experiment with grafting. And, um, you know, this year we're going to try it again. We've never had a great success. I think I've, after talking to a few different, um, I went to a conference a, a few a few months ago, I had a session on grafting and I was talking to the researcher there and I think I was overcomplicating the whole process and we're trying a simpler process this year. But um, I do think that the grafted tomatoes would make sense, especially for the length of production that we have them for. Um, I probably wouldn't recommend it if you were just doing like high tunnel tomatoes or something like that. We usually deal with loss of vigor around end July. Uh-huh. Gotcha. So then um, for cucumbers, what, what type of cucumbers and slash varieties are you growing? Yeah, we grow the Lebanese or the uh, alpha types primarily. So we really love uh, Socrates for the er early, early production. They seem mm -hmm. to handle the cold a little bit better. We also like uh, Picolino. It's a little bit smaller than Socrates. That one seems to do pretty good year round. It really produces. And then uh, Katrina in the summer. Yep. Um, and those we train to, uh, you know, a single leader and we do umbrella style production on those. And then we grow, uh, a small, we call it like a snacking variety called quirk from Johnny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we probably sell more of those and everything else. Um, we grow that on Fort Nova netting and, uh, production is just fabulous. Um, and I would, I mean, I've I haven't seen anybody else for that variety and I'd totally recommend it. Yeah. Now, isn't the seed on that? Is that the one that the seed is outrageously uh, expensive? I mean, it, I honestly have no clue. I don't really pay attention to seed costs because it's yeah. kind of insignificant. You just know it works. So I, I remember, I think, I, I forget there's one variety in there that's just like, it's always a, a sticker shock to get it. Um, yeah. And as you, I know. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a parthenocarpic and gynecious variety that's yeah. mini and it's such a small cucumber. And that's probably why seed cost is so high is because seed production per cucumber is probably minimal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's super cute. Um, it is, yeah, it is the one it's a hundred, it's a dollar 25, a seed at a hundred seeds, but yeah, I mean, if it's working and so that is super small. Wow. That would be yeah, great. We, pickled. We, pint them, we pint them up and they just, they fly off the shelf. It's crazy. And for harvesting, it's almost like picking cherry tomatoes. They're bigger and it's easier than cherry tomatoes. They, yeah. um, so the, I, the stem on them, they like snap off the stem, like extremely easily. It's not like your large, larger slicing cucumber. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're really easy to pick. Gotcha. And do you thin the, those plants at all? I mean, like do any type of training or, you know, limiting the two or three liters, or is it just grower? Right no, we, we, we just do the six by six Hortonova netting. Um, yeah. and the way that we have it hung in our greenhouse is it's like hanging six inches off the ground. So mm -hmm. we, uh, we keep the plant pruned to a single liter till it hits that netting. And then we just let it go wild. Okay. Um, and then we do go through like once a week and we'll take like loose ends and weave it between the netting if they're like flopping over and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. And then is your fertility program, anything different for cucumbers or is it just like a normal fertility program? Uh, I mean, it's on par with our tomato program, which we do pre-plant fertilizer. And then we also fertigate um, mm -hmm. Rosatron every single day that it gets watered. 
Okay. So you're hitting it every single time with fertility as, as okay. Very interesting. Yeah. We start that about four weeks after planting. Okay. Um, but then yeah, fertigate and it makes major differences in production, especially with cucumbers. I mean, you really got to have a lot of nitrogen available for cucumbers to get good yields and healthy plants as well as potassium. Yeah. Yeah. And are you using more of like a fish product or is it, um, what kind of product are you using for that fertility program? No, we've tried a bunch. I'm still always looking for new ones. Um, but since we're using like a dosatron and injecting all mm-hmm. the time and we have, uh, like a stock tank, you can't use a fish or else it gets disgusting yeah. smelling. So we primarily use, um, Chilean nitrate and, uh, like water soluble potassium sulfate. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, we've even used, I forget what the product is. It smells like birthday cake and it's like a, it almost think it's a soy product that we've used in the past. There's but a again, couple of them. There's yeah. like a triple seven by nature safe, which is, uh, I think that's like the soy product. Um, yeah. No, I have, one product. I don't know. They all kind of seem to clog drip lines over time, except yeah. for the Chilean nitrate doesn't. So that's why we're yeah. kind of sticking with it. Yeah. That's what we found with that product is it just felt like, and it would go rancid real bad. So you had to use it the same day. So yeah, we couldn't create the, you know, as you said, like a, a trough and, and just let it run. So, um, all right, cool. Well then, and so you're, and so with that planting that early, when are you starting to harvest? Oh, cucumbers are, I mean, if we're planting cucumbers mid-March, we'll be harvesting a month later. Yeah. Um, Tomatoes, cherry tomatoes, usually we see our first harvest around the first week of May, maybe a little bit earlier. And then slicing tomatoes are maybe two weeks after that. They're, they're, they're pumping out production, you know, a few weeks after that, after the first harvest. Yeah. Yeah. So then that means you're getting those seed, they're starting to seed those relatively quick, at least the tomatoes. Yeah. First or second week in January. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Let's talk a little bit about your hoop houses. So obviously we talked about the heated tunnels, kind of the things in there with your, the, the caterpillars, what are the crops that typically go in there during the summer? The caterpillar tunnels are relatively new for us. Um, you know, in the past, we've done quite a bit of early season strawberry production, which we can talk about if you want. Um, I, it's not the greatest moneymaker. It's a huge draw for customers, after mm-hmm. but you're still picking strawberries. But generally speaking, we're, we're looking to more or less over time, replace almost all field production with cat tunnels. And we're taking like a very, the problem I've had with cat tunnels is trying to environmentally control them kind of intensively and having the thought mm-hmm. that we wanted to intensively control them. So we're taking like a minimal approach where the cat tunnels are, they're either clo- they're, they're closed in the winter. In the spring, we take the end walls off, the sides are rolled down. And in the summer, the end walls are off and the sides are up. And it's like, that's it period yeah. or adjusting besides that. Um, gotcha. So just super limit the labor involved. Yeah. Cause I hate like rolling sides up and down every single day. Yeah, me, you and me both. <laughs> yeah. Um, so pretty much we're going spinach in them all winter. We could probably fill as many as we want with spinach and sell it. Um, and then in the spring, I plan on doing quite a bit of like early bunching crops. So early kale, early carrots, beets, that kind of thing trying to just get a jump on the season. And then in the summer, probably move a lot of our baby leaf and salad greens in there with shade cloth over them. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just been seeing so many more frequent multi-inch downpours that are just destroying baby leaf greens out in the field. Yeah. It seems like it makes sense to move them undercover. 
Absolutely. Now with the, the caterpillars in the summer, have you ever considered pulling plastic off and just doing shade cloth? Cause we've seen that help with, um, with the rains. It does tend to buffer that rain that hits it, or is it just the amount of rain? It's not just the big drops damaging. I mean, it might be worth trying both. Um, but I think I want to leave the plastic on so I can control how much moisture those greens get. Yeah. Um, back to the strawberries, because obviously I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, are you just growing regular production annual bed system and then moving a, a tunnel over it for fruiting? Or are you actually planting in the tunnel in the fall and then moving the, the and just right through the whole season? Uh, no, it's just, so we do, it's Chandler. We do it on woven plastic mm-hmm. um, under an ideal circumstance. If you wanted to move these cat tunnels around, um, it would be perfect for that. I'm not interested in taking down and moving cat tunnels. So we just yeah. kind of always left it there, but um, they get planted in the fall year one from plugs, from cuttings from a previous planting, or you can order the plugs in. Usually that's like mid August. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it's like on a one by one spacing. It's pretty Yeah. And then you get massive, you have to bring in, um, bees, you have to bring in bees. So you got to pay 160 bucks or whatever it is for, you know, the copper bees. And then usually we get fruit. The first harvest for us is like second week in May, um, Mm -hmm. which is about exactly a month before we get our normal June bearing strawberries up here. We have all sold them for $5 a pint. Yeah, um, we can. Seems like we could grow an unlimited quantity and sell them at that price. Um, and yeah. then the, the season ends almost always like the week that our outdoor June bearing strawberries come in. We don't grow those just from other. Yeah, problems. yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking of we've obviously done a, like eight thousand plants in the field, but I'm thinking of moving a house right over them and just pushing for about because I think I'd probably get about two week jump on the season. And that just would help us massively because we went from 1200 plants to 8,000 plants this year. So that would help us massively with just the front end, getting enough traction with marketing, um, for the bigger planting. Oh yeah. I mean, we get people, we're pretty real and we'll get like a, a line of cars. Um, oh yeah. Where to get the strawberries and they're, you know, when you run out, they get pretty upset. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can imagine. Yeah. All right. Well, that's really interesting. I'll have to kind of mess around with that. And again, the, the cost of the bees and the cost of even moving a house over is minuscule compared to what I know we can make off of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's dive into kind of, you know, the starting of the farm. I kind of, we went right into your tunnels, but talk to us a little bit about kind of how you got started. Sure. So uh, Bailey and I purchased the farm in 2017 and I was in the middle of grad school at that point, I owned a previous farm uh, before that in Boyne City, which is about an hour and a half north of here. And um, I left that to go to grad school and Bailey was with me at that point. And um, it kind of had like a midlife crisis in grad school realizing, you know, kind of like, why am I here? I really need to be farming again. Um, But I did finish grad school, but we bought the farm that summer. We started building all the infrastructure uh, with everything's funded through FSA. Um, finished grad school, came back and first production year was 2018. Yep. Um, and so we're in our fourth year of production here in the farm currently. And the business has just kind of progressively grown every single year. Um, and pretty much the way it's laid out is Bailey has a business management degree and she more or less runs the business from all business ends. Mm -hmm. And she also, uh, manages the wash pack. 
I pretty much take care of everything from production to harvest and we kind of like share managing harvest together. So mm-hmm. I'm also like infrastructure and equipment uh, management and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's great when you can work together as a couple and, and, and split off areas of the business and just own those areas. I'm glad you're making yeah. that work. Um, so then I'm assuming like with that, she, that means she's doing, does she do most of the marketing? Yep. She handles most of the marketing. Uh, she deals with all customer relations. She deals with all of the order processing, uh, invoicing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then HR and all that. Yeah. We kind of share HR responsibilities with employees. Um, we're both, we're both learning that, uh, that whole process together. Mm -hmm. That was both new to new to both of us pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now with the, with the rapid scale, how have you made that work? Has that just been, you know, a really good relationship with, I think you said, um, was it farm credit or USDA FSA? Yeah. USDA FSA office. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, I've heard nightmare stories about FSA from other farmers. We have a great relationship with our loan officer. Um, you know, we worked really hard to convince them to, to finance the farm in the first place. And, um, you know, each year we've pretty much gone in for additional loan funding saying, Hey, look, this is what we were able to do this year. This is what we can do if we get this X, Y, and Z type of thing. Yeah. They believe us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our FSA officer has been fabulous and, you know, literally I just, for our, we just send them receipts and boom, the money shows up a couple of days later. So that's, um, if you know how, if you know how to use money to make money, then an FSA, you know, partnership is great. If you don't have that experience yet, then it can be a nightmare. Totally. It's a lot of paperwork. It's slow. Um, but yeah, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine doing it without having, you know, loans. It would be painstakingly slow. Now let's talk a little bit about the heated greenhouse and then you do microgreens. Kind of talk a little bit about your, your production with the microgreens. Sure. So the microgreens have grown to be a pretty significant portion of our sales. Um, if you include, if you include like shoots, like pea shoots, sunflower shoots, and we also grow fava bean shoots mm-hmm. um, in that that's probably, I don't know, somewhere around a third to maybe more of our uh, gross sales. Um, and so we, we seed into shallow 10, 20 trays with Morgan's one-on-one potting mix. Mm-hmm. And we have heated benchtop space in the greenhouse where we bring down the trays. Once they're germinated, you know, we stack them, seed it, stack them, bring them down to the, put them in germ chamber, bring them down to the greenhouse when they're done water. We finish all of our microgreens on a flood table. So pretty much the last, we'd like to add more flood table space as we grow, but currently we only have enough flood table space to like finish the last five to five days to one week of all those mm-hmm. microgreens on a flood table. Um, we harvest with a, uh, a steel, um, stainless steel handheld hedge trimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, we really like that. And, um, so then with, that, with the steel stainless steel hedge trimmer, um, is that you basically going down the, the tray, at, basically the whole thing at once? And then are you just raking the top off or are you kind of grabbing the top we, as you cut? So we use the blades, maybe like 11 inches and mm-hmm. we hold the tray sideways. So, you know, the tray is 21 inches long and mm-hmm. it takes three, three strokes to uh, safely cut the entire tray. And then you got to go and clean the back edge up 
mm-hmm. uh, on the backside. So you're holding the tray sideways over your harvest container. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now talk a little bit about um, the marketing for those microgreens. Where are the most of those headed to? Most of ours go to uh, in plastic 1.75 ounce clamshells to grocery stores. Okay. Um, we also sell bulk to restaurants and we also sell the clamshells at farmer's market and at our farm store, but definitely a majority. Um, yeah. To grocery stores. And we really like that because it's a consistent market. Uh-huh. Um, we pretty much know what to expect every single week. Um, there's a lot more labor involved and, you know, the margins aren't nearly as good as it is with yeah. the restaurant sales, but, um, the margins are so high in microgreens are anyway, I don't know why anybody would worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now with the, the packaging, the clamshells, you're just using like a dart, um, clamshell or. We use Lacerda as our clamshell mm. provider. Uh, we've liked them. It's all post-consumer recycled. Yep. Um, and we buy them by the 10 skid load, which does really help. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're just, we're just going locally here to a supplier. So that's why we haven't gone to the, the large scale yet. Um, are you using dart? We are because that's what they stock locally. And that 1.75 gotcha. ounces, uh, I know that size you're talking about that. That's like an eight ounce, uh, container typically. I think it's a, called a 24 ounce container. Oh, oh, okay. So use them with the flat, the larger flat ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because you can do an eight and you can get a deep eight and okay. Yep. That makes sense. That's, I think the 64 ounce for our five ounce salad. Yeah. 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 I think the 24 has a better, um, I I like it better as a display. Um, yeah, the display is nice. I mean, we have professionally made clear labels that fit on them that have a UPC barcode. Yeah. Um, and it's got, you know, like the safe, the safety seal strip, pull strip mm-hmm. that you gotta do so that um, for tamper evidence and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pricing's gone up on those like a lot. Um, and we've, we've increased accordingly um, for our sales, but it used to not be, used to not seem like that much. And now it's quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That invoice comes in and that's, Oh, so yeah, I, I definitely have gotten that. Um, talk to us a little bit about your solar system. Sure. So um, we have a, a pretty large solar system and we've added onto it once, but um, it's all, it's a ground mount solar system that a local person, we built the first part with um, some help and advice from a local builder, who, uh-huh. a local solar installer. And then the second time he just did it all himself because we were too busy at that point. But um, it's all ground mount and you can tilt the angle of the panels Okay. Um, and so we, we, we rotate them four times a year to three different positions. Uh, you know, winter, it's almost 90 degrees. Um, so almost straight up and down. And then in the summer, it's almost flat. And then it's pretty much a 45 angle for spring and fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with tax credits and we got a REAP, uh, a REAP Rural Energy for America program grant, mm-hmm. which is I think a 30% project cost grant. For the solar panels and our wood boiler, we got that grant for. Um, but you know, after that, and with the fact of us doing the install ourselves, you know, that first system, which was like 21 kilowatts, um, had a payback period of uh, 2.5 years. Okay. Um, yeah. It's warranted for 20. Um, you know, that one is producing. I mean, all in all, we're producing around fifteen thousand dollars worth of electricity a year. 
Yeah. Um, and we're using all of it. Yeah. And it, the, I mean, it's just incredible. It's, it's kind of like a no brainer. Um, as far as solar goes, I think it pays, you know, we're paying, yeah, we had to take out a loan, pay for it. And we are paying the loan back, but the loan's less than what the utility bill would be. Um, so it all works out. Yeah. Um, here in Ohio, unfortunately, we're not as green minded. So there's no, there's no rebates or anything, but, um, yeah, if you can get yeah. it, it's great. That is like, so we are, um, we're net metered, um, yep. through consumers energy. A lot of the smaller utility companies here, even in Michigan don't allow it, but consumers is large enough that it's a federal mandate that they have to, gotcha. um, which does. So that means that any excess production that we're grid tied. So yeah. any excess production that we have goes out onto the grid and we get a credit at full retail value um, that we can use at times when we're um, underproducing, which is in the winter. Yeah. Generally speaking though, about 90% of our electricity, well, I think it's more like 85% of our electricity is, is used at the point of production. Oh, wow. Cause obviously in the summer you got cool, a lot of coolers running. I think that's probably the biggest expense for most farms is cooling. Cooling. We have all the fans. I mean, we have HAF fans and all those greenhouses running almost all the time. Yeah. Um, there's just so many fans, motors and pumps and lights and everything going on. So you're still using HAF, not vertical fans. Yeah. You know, I would really want to look into those. I remember hearing you talk about it one time. Yeah. But, you know, right now we're just running the standard HAF fans yeah. and all the greenhouses doing just like the circular airflow yeah. pattern with yeah. them slightly tilted downwards. Yeah. 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 We've, we've, we're now with one year under our belts with the, um, vertical airflow mm-hmm. and, uh, I've been blown away. Our disease, those, my um, <laughs> somebody out of China, actually. Um, we got them out of scenic acres out of Kentucky. Um, okay. so you can just call them up, Google them and, and you can get it from them, but it's, they're like, they're not that expensive, like 125, $150 each. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, the concept makes really good sense, especially for, uh, evaporating moisture off of yeah. like leafy crops. I mean, we literally had no tomato disease. Yeah. And, uh, like our winter greens look fabulous in there. Typically we'd start to see some downy mill move in and we've got some pretty, uh, dense plantings and we still don't have any disease at all. So I'm yeah. pretty, pretty excited by them. We hooked up, we had the biggest challenge actually was wiring them all and hooking them up to a, a finding a big enough dimmer switch that would dim all of them to slow them down. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a pretty, cause it's a 200 foot house. So it's a, it's a pretty large, big circuit. Yeah. So, so yeah, you probably foot. almost want to use like a relay or something like that. Um, well, I, yeah, actually the, 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 dimmer on that work, we had to use a relay on the fan because it's a 220. Um, so then when we actually blew the first one up, we had to go to a second one. We we're finally able to make that one work, but yeah, this, these 200 foot long greenhouses are super nice for growing in, but, um, <laughs> getting all the electrical was, was definitely a little bit of a challenge because I did it myself. So, yeah. Yeah. We've done all the electrical. Um, I, I'm pretty good at electrical and we've done it and it all yeah. is, is it, it's quite a bit and it's all it's so expensive to have a, a commercial electrician come in and wire those types of things in con, you know, everything's in conduit and yeah, they hate that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I actually, so when we had our plastic put on, our plastic was put on like a month, well, three weeks after this frame went up just because they couldn't, because of the wind and it's such a big piece of plastic. And so I actually had my entire 200 foot run all ready to go. And so um, when the Amish came back or Mennonites came back, they actually put that entire thing up for me, which was my gosh, so nice to be able to just, I had it all wired and set up and they just picked the whole thing up, walked right in, stuck it up there, 17 feet in the air and tied it in for me. So cool. yeah, that actually, that, that, if that's something I would, you know, suggest if someone kind of knows what they're doing is just have that stuff ready to go. So that when the installation team is there, um, they can just walk it in that saved us a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. I'd like to mention too, that we run in all of our heated greenhouses, we were on, um, they're like uh, environmental controllers uh, made mm-hmm. by Link 4. They're the Agro 800s. Um, yep. It's a relatively simple environmental controller. And it's just say it saves countless amount of time making micro adjustments on the uh, environmental control within the greenhouse. It's, yeah. it's an amazing product and I'd highly recommend them. So with that Agro 800, is that one where it's controlled from your phone? Uh, you can control it from your, well, you control it from a, you can control it from a web browser or the okay. actual controller itself. Gotcha. Okay. So web browser, which would be on your phone too. Yeah. We didn't end up going with quite that. We ended up going with the, um, advancing alternatives one, and I'm not super happy with that. Um, uh, their technology is not as good as iGrow's. Yeah. The iGrow is nice. You can, you can control humidity and air temperature. So you can, um, you know, have your exhaust fan and louvered vents open at a certain humidity level for a certain amount of time and then have the heater kick on when they close, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, I, you know, they have more advanced ones, but for basic greenhouse operations, uh, probably like both of us are doing. Yeah. Our grill works great. And it's the price tag's not terrible. It's like 2000 bucks or something like that for the whole controller with the relay panel and everything. Yeah. Um, the most expensive part is going to be hiring an electrician to wire it all up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, actually have a, um, electrician on staff. So, um, yeah, it's super nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he came to us looking he's like, Hey, I'm wanting to do something to stay busy. And I was like, you know, I'm sorry, we can't afford you. And he's like, no, 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 let's figure something out that works for both of us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, he's been super great to have. So great. Yeah. Hey there, do you grow flowers or are you interested in adding this exploding enterprise to your farm business? Then jump on over to www.farmsummits.com and drop your email. We're hosting the Thriving Farmer Flower Summit the first weekend in January and can't wait for you to join us. You'll learn from industry experts and new farmers alike as they share what works, what doesn't, and how to enjoy flowers on a whole new level. Okay. So let's talk a lot about, you know, starting in 2017, you kind of really hit the ground 2018 heavy. You've really switched to the greenhouses and, and what is, has that just always been by looking at the numbers and seeing where your revenue comes from and just moving that direction? Yeah, I would say it's, it's not even that we've really switched to greenhouses. We've just, we've been building a new greenhouse every single year. And so we've just been adding greenhouses, which is really yeah. been the, uh, the, the reason for the growth in sales. Um, you know, I, I just, I knew this beforehand. I knew that the dollar per square foot output in greenhouse production can just way outpace that of field production. Yeah. Um, I personally prefer that style and environment of growing more. Um, and so that's just like where we focused and we've, you know, we really took the focus 
for the greenhouses from, there's many benefits to it, but the, one of the major ones was our desire to be able to provide uh, year round employment mm-hmm. for all of our employees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being able to keep that team year round is so crucial for having, well, I think a rapidly scaling farm and then also one that is, is profitable too, because the cost of training employees is, is, is just huge. Yeah. 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 Um, so what would you say, like, do you have a top five crops or is your tomatoes is still, is still up there? Or I think you mentioned microgreens is about a third of your business. Yeah. I mean, so I can say, you know, I can say that, um, about 80% of our gross revenue comes from, uh, it's more than four, but it's tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, um, and then baby leaf greens shoots in microgreens. And that's probably honestly like 70% Mm -hmm. right there. And then if you also include ginger, basil, uh, bunching greens, like kale and chard, uh, Mm -hmm. bunching celery, and then bunch carrots, that would be like 80% of our gross sales right there. Um, and then from that 80%, about 85% of that is, is in greenhouses. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about ginger for a bit. Um, are you doing the whole buying in certified organic seed from Hawaii or are you buying it in from a distributor? How's that work? Yeah, we're buying it in from Hawaii. Um, I think the only reason I haven't tried just like buying organic ginger from a grocery store is just fear that I'd spend all the money and it yeah. wouldn't work. Once again, the, with the production we're getting, the cost of the seed is kind of insignificant in my eyes. Yeah. And we've been really happy with the stuff from Biker Dude. So yeah, we've just stuck with it. Yeah, and is he already sold out for 2022? They like changed their arrangement. Um, they're not starting sales till February or January or February or something like that this year. It's not November 1st. And um, what I would say is like the past few years, they've been selling out and offering Peruvian, a Peruvian ginger, which they're just buying from some other farm in Peru, from my understanding. Yep. Virus testing it and then repacking it. We've seen our best yields with that, that ginger. Um, Interesting. That's what we're going to keep trying to purchase. I wonder if there's a way to go direct to Peru. I wonder too. <laughs> That's a great question for our team to look into. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll look down that. Uh, I'll, I'll look, start working down that, that train of thought. Um, Cause I, I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're looking to ramp up significantly with our ginger production just because of some of the outlets we've dis- we've developed for that. So um yeah yeah we've um we've like kind of really we could talk about ginger i've really grown i've grown up for i don't know five or seven years and we've really kind of figured out a, what i think is a pretty good system and it's mm-hmm. we've gotten some pretty amazing yields the past few years um and what we've been doing is um you know ordering the seed in we'll sprout mm-hmm. it in an open web 1020 tray with a seed starting potting mix covering the whole thing uh, mm-hmm. put it in the germ chamber at 70 degrees, it usually sprouts in a couple of weeks. So you uh, leave it in the germ chamber for those couple of weeks, the whole time. Yeah. We just leave it right in the germ chamber. Um, we don't have to water it cause you made it with like, we use moistened mm-hmm. media and then it stays moist enough in the germ chamber. We wait till it actually is sprouting. And then we take it, we just kind of, it doesn't seem to sprout extremely evenly. So yeah. once you notice that maybe 50% sprouted, we go through and pull out the ones that are sprouted. We then put those into bulb crates filled with like a, a potting up mix or Morgan's 201 mix. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's about six, five to six inches, uh, of media. And then we put that on a, on our bench tops and we 
cover them with like a, a mini hoop with vented, uh, you know, like perforated plastic. Oh, interesting. Same stuff you do out in the field. And we, yeah, leave yeah, yeah. Them, we leave them on the grow bench for maybe another, like, I don't even know, month and a half, two months to the point where the, the growths maybe like a foot and a half tall. Yep. All right. So this is then, so basically he's like in a six inch pot is what you're putting it in. Well, it's a bulb crate, uh, you know, oh, a bulb crate. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, you could also do it in individual four inch pots, but we just seem to think that the bulb crates work great. Okay. That, that's cheaper. Yeah. It works for us and it's a lot less pots to handle and you can probably fit a lot more in there. Yeah. But then when we go to plant, um, we just kind of like shake them, you know, shake them apart. The roots yep. seem to because they're pretty thick roots they seem to separate pretty easily and then what we're doing it double double row double row beds with uh six inches in row 18 inches between rows and then so we plant them we wait about a week in the green this is in the greenhouse usually we're planting around um like i don't know early may probably at this point yeah. okay coming in early march um and then a week after we plant we do a hoop over hoop. So we have like a, it's kind of like essentially imagine putting like a caterpillar tunnel inside of a, yes, of a greenhouse. And we yes. also use a, it's like vented plastic. We couldn't yep. find a source for a super wide roll of vented plastic. So we just punched a bunch of holes in a standard roll of greenhouse plastic. Okay. Um, and then we just left that plastic a hundred percent covered. So we never, we didn't like lift the sides or anything. It just has holes yeah. and we just left it there. Um, all season and you got to fertilize it a lot I and mean, you just keep it weeded but then so um, you're not you're not doing a lot of hilling we hilled it once okay okay so you do hill once and that's just done with like a are you using like a mini plow or are you just hoeing it uh to be honest this year we just used a spade shovel um okay yep yep i've, I've done that we didn't, we didn't have a lot of room um, yeah. I mean, you certainly could probably use like a wheel hoe with a hiller on there or something like that. If you wanted to, I don't see why. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's greenhouse soil with, uh, and we just have so much like peat moss and other compost in there. It's pretty easy to shovel it. So it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Interesting. All right. And then your fertility program, are you just putting on the same thing you're doing in the greenhouse or are you doing something different? Um, usually we'll just, I mean, we'll fertigate it. Um, we'll side dress it when we do the hilling. Um, ginger seems to just, it, I, I don't think you can really honestly put too much nitrogen on. Um, so just keep it well-fed mm -hmm. and, um, a lot, well, well, it gets a lot of water. Um, that's for sure. It, it likes, consistent moisture. So we make, we have all of the greenhouses on timed irrigation and it's irrigating it mm -hmm. like every two hours type of thing like that. Um, it's all on drip tape and then the drip tape gets buried as you hill it. Um, and then the yields are just pretty fan. I mean, I wish I had my numbers up with me, but it's pretty incredible. Yeah. What I mean, so we got, I mean, I don't have, I have sales numbers. So we got, uh, $9,500 off two beds that are 140 feet long in the greenhouse. And, mm -hmm. um, that's selling it at, uh, $5 quarter pound bunches or, uh, $12 yeah. wholesale per pound. 12 wholesale. Yeah. That sounds about right. 9,500. So that's basically 4750 
per bed. And how many months is that in there? May through and October. End of September. Okay. So Back May, June, July, August. We make sure everything's out for winter yeah. grains. So mid-September. All right. So then let's say five months. So 20 weeks, 21 weeks, something like that. Maybe 22 weeks. Um, yeah, that's good money. That's really good money. It's oh, great do- money for the fact that it's like extremely low labor input. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's really little to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously the right now, especially that's the number one cost on any farm is going to be labor. Yeah. Um, now with that too, are you um, doing any turmeric? You know, um, uh, we've tried it a few times in the past with very little luck. We tried it again this year. It did, it, it did really well, but the thing is, it seems like it needs, it's got, it seems like it has a longer season than ginger does. And I'm just not sure we have the season to get really large yields. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause what zone are you up there? Technically it's five B. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we're that's, six. I mean, that's because we're so close to Lake Michigan. Yes. Yeah. But you do have, you don't get as hot as we get in the summer. So we would get a lot more heat. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm wondering if I need to do the double plastic because I mean, we'll get weeks in the nineties. I think like it, I mean, there were times where I'd walk in there and it was like 105 degrees and it didn't even seem to phase the ginger. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. We'll see. Yeah. That sounds, again, if it comes down to the water too, I mean, if you're giving enough water, then I think that's part of the problem thing too, is if it has plenty of nutrients, plenty of water, it can just crank. I mean, think about like the climate that it typically comes in. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other option would be if you could fill an entire greenhouse and then just set your environmental controller to not roll up the sides till it was a hundred degrees. Um, yeah. That could work too. Yeah. We're probably going to end up sticking this in a, we're going to probably do a full hundred foot tunnel of ginger and turmeric. Um, just, yeah. And I think that will work out real well for us by three beds of the, I don't know. We'll have to see what we end up doing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I definitely am going to take note. I took some notes on that because there's some great, you had some great tips there. Yeah. And we did, um, we had quite a bit of excess this year and we did, uh, we like had another local farm that has a, they have a commercial kitchen to make garlic Mm -hmm. powder. And so they powderized it for us. And we've been selling little jars of ginger powder for $18. Um, and those have been selling really well as well. And it takes about one pound of one pound of fresh ginger to fill one jar. Okay. And what, how many ounces is this jar? I don't know. I don't know. All right. I, I, I'm going to, is it on your Instagram? Never your standard, you know, you know, herb. Jar? Yeah. You know, whatever your standard herb jar thing is a couple ounces. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm running through your, uh, your Instagram right now, hoping I can find a, a I'm sure it's on there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Ooh. So paper pot. I just, yeah, I should have gotten to this earlier. Um, KN Bravo. Those are the, are those the purple one, purple daikon radish, those are the purple daikons. Yeah. We're probably going to be phasing out most of those root crops over the next year yeah. two years. Um, but I do love the KN Bravo. It is nice, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be phasing it out. We move, we call those Barney radishes and that seemed to help sell them faster. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, again, my childhood purple yeah. dinosaur, Yes. So that's where I went with that. Man, that ginger does look fabulous though. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do not see a uh, do not see a uh, ginger powder here. 
Maybe cool. on our web store. That'd yeah. Be oh yeah. That would definitely be it. Yeah, absolutely. So you're using a, um, a, uh, milk tank for your bubbler. Yep. 200 gallon milk tank with the jacuzzi jet, pretty standard stuff that yep. you're using um, the, con the converted, uh, salad spinners. Yep. Wash machines. Um, what do we have in the out? So we have a, we kind of have like two washbacks, indoor, outdoor washback, outdoor washbacks is called outdoor because it used to be outside, but now it's all fully enclosed. Yeah. Um, all the, all baby leaf greens and microgreens go in the indoor washback. Everything else is in the outdoor and the outdoor one. We do have a, a brusher washer, which we use for all of our tomatoes, mm -hmm. peppers, cucumbers, um, that kind of thing. It has a soft bristle brushes, uh, soft bristle brushes. Yeah. And, um, we think that it makes, it makes major, uh, differences with all of those. And as far as their shine and appearance at market, um, yeah. if you want to stand out, it's a good thing to do. Um, it's kind of nice cause it flows through the machine and goes out on the packing table. So then you just, it makes everything easy for packing when it's on that rotary table anyways. Yeah. So then are you still using a barrel washer? We have one and we, we did get it out this winter for all the root crops, but, um, we're also, we're planning on really kind of phasing out a lot of those root yeah. crops. So we're probably going to sell it, but we don't keep it in the wash pack cause we don't use it that much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other piece of equipment in there that we really have that I, I love is, uh, one of the AZS rinse conveyors mm -hmm. um, that that machine has saved, um, hundreds of hours, uh, mostly, yeah. mostly with, washing uh bins totes and trays um and then we also put all of our like bunch greens through it we put bunch roots through it um, yeah you can put loose root crops but it doesn't do as good as a barrel root washer does for and that. you can um, you can turn up or turn down depending on how you want how much pressure you want in that correct totally yep you can i mean you can turn off so there's two different um systems there's a high volume low pressure rinse and then a high pressure rinse which is low volume, kind of like a pressure washer. Yeah, You can adjust the pressure and flow rate of both of those so, as well as the speed of the conveyor. Uh, you can buy it with different size motors as well. We bought it with like the mid-size mower. I think it's a seven horse mm -hmm. pressure motor. Um, I would consider buying it with even the higher one because you can also hook up, you know, just like a standard pressure washer gun to the machine. Oh, and nice. Just for pressure washing, like an electric pressure washer. Yeah. Um, what do we do? We also added a, a sanit a sanitizing line at the end. Um, yep. so we direct inject sanitate for pretty much any green that we put through there, as well as all of our uh, bins, totes, and trays. That's that was the other question I was going to ask. Yeah, because that's something that we on the farm absolutely hate. And if we could do that, that would uh, that would change many of our team's lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think about like, because we're up to, I mean, in the summer we're doing four hundred something trays of microgreens a week, and so cleaning that yeah. trays by hand a week is just insane. And we can bust that out in thirty minutes in the machine. Yeah, uh, with two people, so it's just incredible. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that looks good. And then I'm looking at like an old, a full farm shot here from the one end is the gray building your pack and wash. And then is the blue building, uh, an upstairs uh, house. And then downstairs, is that also kind of farm or is it all your house? The gray buildings just, um, that's a new pole book that we built. It's a new pole barn we built last summer. Well, this pre previous summer, that's just, uh, half of its heated shop space for me. Okay. And then the rest is just like it's like a warehousing space and it's all full of pallet racking to fill 
mm-hmm. um, all of our like totes of media and equipment and other stuff. And then the blue building is the main building that we built the first year of the farm. And that includes, um, it's kind of like split up into multiple sections, but it does mm-hmm. include our, our personal residence along with, um, you know, the wash packs, employee area, garage, um, a head house, a boiler room. And then from, from the head house part of that barn, you, there's a breezeway into the greenhouse. Yeah. For all, for a bunch of top production. Yeah. Yeah. Now with your on farm store, that's just, um, got a couple of retail coolers in there. I see. Is that set up as self checkout or. Yep. There's, it's set up as self checkout. It's, a it's a 12 by 20 foot Amish built shed that they deliver on site. And then mm-hmm. we kind of just like finish the inside, uh, with, you know, paneling and insulation and whatnot. We have a mini split hooked up to it for heating and cooling. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a bunch of display coolers. There's a display freezer. And then just like an iPad with the Square app uh, set up for self-checkout. Gotcha. Yep. Now, in what percentage of your business do you feel like that comes from that? Uh, we just calculated that. Um, it's somewhere, it's between, uh, it's going to be close to 18% this year. Okay. Um and it's been growing every single year. It's pretty, I mean, it's the easiest 18% of our gross sales. I can tell you that. And we're getting yeah. full retail value um, on all the products sold there. So we are, I mean, we have a grant application in to build a new store. We had a, a, a nightmarish story dealing with um, MDARD's Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development's um, food and dairy division this summer. Oh, about licensing and what we're allowed to sell and what we're not allowed to sell. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're a bunch of fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, long story short is currently we're only allowed to sell products grown on our farm. Yeah. Uh, but we're looking at potentially building a, a, a newer, slightly bigger one, um, where we could sell other goods as well. And so is that because of you're not able to keep the, they, do they want you to be like a grocery store? Yeah, essentially Michigan set up where you're either a grocery store or you're a farm stand where all you sell is your own farm's produce. Um, there's no like in between. So uh-huh. the grocery uh-huh. store, we need to have a full-time staff member and have a bathroom inside the facility for staff not even necessarily for public. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Obviously, you know, a porta potty for some reason doesn't count. Um, yeah. Yeah. With, you know, with you, station and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You could get away with a private membership. Yeah. That might, uh, that's how we're operating and it works great. Um, and then basically it's, you know, not a public retail, it's a private, you know, private, basically, I mean, basically we say, yeah, that's where we store our food and we can't help if our members come in and get food from it. So yeah, we do get, um, the only issue for that, that we might have is we're in a extremely touristic area and quite a bit of our summer traffic is tourists. Yeah. I don't well, know how membership subscription would work. I don't know if they could just do it the day they show up. They can. Yeah. So we actually just have a sign as they walk in that says, this is a private membership by doing business with us. You agreed to join our membership. Um, so, I mean, it depends on how hard they push. I mean, some of them can just, if, if they come after you, you know, again around it, sometimes they just, you just have to charge them a dollar and if it's self-service, it can be a little confusing. So that may be, 
yeah, it can get a little bit dicey in there, but the, the private, the private moving into the private domain can protect you drastically from some of this government overreach. So yeah, that might be worth looking into. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us uh, the wrap up here. What's your favorite farm tool? Um, man, there's too many to list, but honestly, probably just the front end loader on the tractor. I wish I yeah. had a good steer, but the front end loader is just a life-saving machine. I couldn't imagine owning any scale farm without one. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, that the rinse conveyor I'm sure is pretty high up there too. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a wrist conveyor, there's the paper pot transplanter. Um, we could go on for a while there. We have a, a flat filling machine. That's pretty amazing. Okay. What brand do you have for that? Uh, it's dinky. Um, yeah. Made by mm-hmm. some guy in Missouri, um, incredibly yep, simple. Yep. It's not perfect, but it works amazingly well. Yeah. Affordable. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at those. Um, if I could find a used one, I'd be super happy, but I'm sure they do not exist. <laughs> so Probably not. I mean, I think it was like 6,000 bucks. It pays for itself so quickly. I would just jump the gun and do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts? I know you guys have scaled rapidly. You know, what's your thought? What would you say to someone who's, you know, thinking of, of taking the, the, the jump and, and just diving into farming? I would say that, um, I mean, one go for it. I mean, there's a great market. Um, I would want to make, I would tell them to make sure they have plenty of experience and just know what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Um, now is a great, I mean, right now is a great time to get, uh, loan funding because interest rates are so cheap and it doesn't, yeah. we're going to go back up. So if you're thinking about it, you should probably go into the office right now. Um, but I would just want, I mean, business, small business ownership is overrated and I would really want someone to really think about it before they um, jump in too far. Yeah. It's incredibly stressful. Yeah. Um, Having a job sounds pretty nice. (laughs) Until it doesn't. (laughs) So yes, no, I totally get that. Yeah. I think I I have more gray hair this year from the, the farm than, um, well, I mean, obviously I've got three kids, so that doesn't help, yeah. but <laughs> all right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a fabulous uh, conversation. I know we could have gone for another couple hours, John, but, um, I think we hit the highlights. I, you know, I think we got, you know, the big key successors to your businesses, you know, you, you know, your numbers, you're diving in on the business side. Um, you're doing what works, which is the heated and well, unheated greenhouses and, um, and you're certified organic too, which obviously gives you like that price premium. And it's not that much more work to go certified organic than just, you know, if you're growing naturally, you might as well take the, the jump and, and get that stamp. Yep. So. I, that's pretty much my opinion on it right there. So, all right. Well, John, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it as well. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about, you know, some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. 
there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.